please remain standing, church. Um, my name is Ray Thompson. I've been with Lake Avenue for 27 years. Uh, my wife and I, Lydia, and our four daughters, we've raised them here. And uh, our scripture reading today is from Psalms 91. Okay, so here we go. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. So as I said, with uh, my heart heavy, and I'm sure many of yours as well, we come today to uh, meet with the Lord and to hear his word. Uh, if you haven't heard, yesterday in El Paso, Texas, uh, there was a mass shooting that ended up with at least 20 whose lives were taken and at least 26 others who are in critical condition in the hospital. And then last night, well, I want to say about El Paso, I, I've already talked with many of you, you have friends there, and, and Pastor Myra has family there, so I know this is very personal for so many. Dayton, Ohio, where last night there was another shooting, with at least nine being dead, and about the same amount as in El Paso being in the hospital. It's a place where I've preached often. I have uh, many, many friends, including pastors, who are there. It just seems like such a safe place. So here we gather, does God's word have anything to say to us? As I have done throughout these kinds of times in my 12 years here, I, I've decided to stick with the text that God put on my mind a long, long time ago. It seems to me it might be relevant. The title is Longing for the Secret Place or Longing for a Safe Place in this world. So I wanna start here, uh, when, when our children and Chris is doing grandmother duty back in Colorado right now, but when our children, uh, Heather and Brandon, were small, I think Heather was six and Brandon was two, we moved to Arlington Heights, Illinois, a beautiful town, and we bought this little home in Arlington Heights. We lived there for eight years. I went online and found a picture of it just to, to show you where we live. Now, when I became a university president, I got into a different financial place, and we were able to move to a newer and bigger home, but I want to tell you, I'm pretty sure both of my kids like that home, the, the smaller one, better. Um, for, for many reasons, and, and one of them is this. 
But when you would go down the stairs and you would turn right after you get downstairs, there was a room you wouldn't even notice it there. It just seemed to be uh, uh, hidden. It was their secret place. It, it was their uh, children's playroom. Uh, I have a picture here of, I tried to find something like it. And, uh, a play, but I'm telling you, if Brandon and Heather saw me show you that picture, they would say, no, 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 that one's no good. Ours was much more hidden, much more mysterious, much more fun. They would go there at all sorts of times to read, I think sometimes to get away from dad. Uh, they would go sometimes to create these magnificent edifices with Legos. They would go there to get away from the hecticness of school or life in general. It was their secret place that it seemed like for them nothing in this world could, uh, could destroy what they had there, whether it was a bad grade on a test or a family dispute or a bully in the neighborhood. So I thought about that, that secret place for my children, and I began preparing my sermon for you today from Psalm chapter 91. Because as I've been telling you throughout this entire summer in, in this final series of sermons that I've been doing for you as, my, as your senior pastor, I've been turning to these psalms that have had the greatest life-forming and life-directing influence in my entire life. Last week, I took you to Psalm chapter 40 and, and, and spoke about those times when we are in the, what I remember I called it slimy pit situations. If you weren't here, I'm, what I'm talking about with a slimy pit situation, you, you've been there. It's that time when you get into a situation where you don't quite know where to go. And even if you know where you're sp supposed to go, you're, you're stuck. You, you can't get out of where you are. And I gave you a formula last week about what to do in a slimy pit. Anybody remember it? I'll put it back up here in case your memory isn't all that great. I said, in those situations, it's time to slow down. Ray, when you called us to do that, that's what we've got to slow down, get our hearts calm. Then to take some time to remember, as we've been doing all morning, to remember who God is, what he's done in the past, where we've experienced him in the past, praying that you have, meditating on that and beginning to apply it to the situation now, saying, God, you are still the same God. Then, then when you've done that, then to, to ask to bring the matter to him, to give that matter to him. And, and then came this part that I called wait, wait, right? Do you like that part? When you ask and, and you say, I went out of this slimy pit now, and then I had one little comment that I made about acting in the midst of those times, and I said, just praying for one small step that God would have you to take now. Many of you came through the door after I'd preached the sermon and said that you agreed with at least one part of the sermon. And that was how hard this wait, wait part is. Because as you, some of you told me, when you knew when you went, left church, you're gonna walk right back into that situation at the same time, and it just felt like, and I don't know what's happened in the week in between, it just felt like those things might just destroy you. It's because of that. I wanna take you to this text that we've come to today, to Psalm 91, and, and to try to communicate to you why this psalm has been so significant in my own life in those times that I've been waiting for God to, to do something I've asked him to do. Because Psalm 91 is a psalm about God's protection as we wait. And really what I see in that psalm is that the key to experiencing God's presence, his protection, and his peace when we're waiting 
in the midst of an impossible time is found in the very first verse of Psalm 91. So that would be Psalm 91, 1. Some of you have said to me, Pastor, you remember where all these texts are in the Bible? I can never remember where any of the texts are. I'm going to give you a way that you can remember where this text is. Psalm 9, 1, 1. I'm going to show you this slide in case you've never seen that. That's the number we call when there's an emergency or a crisis. What you see, and you're going to have to go home and read Psalm 91 as a whole, is that the psalmist speaks of all kinds of emergencies that happen in his world and that robbed people of any of their peace or their joy. Psalm 91 tells us that in the psalmist world and in ours too, God is still here. God is with us, and that his, he is greater than even these crises that seem to be, sometimes feels greater than anything else. So I, I want you to see how this psalmist actually begins in that 911 psalm. You're not going to forget that, are you? So Psalm 91, verse 1, here it is. Whoever dwells in the shelter or secret place, the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So today, as we come to Psalm 91, here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice the place. Where is that secret place? Two, the plot to keep you out of that place. Three, the promise that God actually makes. And four, the path. So you got that? The place, the plot, the promise, the path. Okay, the place. What is this secret place of the Most High that he talks about that we can come to in times of trouble? Uh, the Hebrew word, you know, it was written in Hebrew, is besetter, which really means to hide or to be concealed. I don't know what English version you have. You might have it on your Bible uh, or your phone or someplace even now. Most of our newest, newer translations translate it the shelter the shelter of the, of the Most High because uh, the next phrase tells us that it will give us shade or shadow from the, from the heat. So this promise is there that as they lived in that desert-like area that is what is a part of Israel, when that hot sun came, it could do damage. We in Southern California understand that illustration. When I went, because I had skin cancer for this scar, you can see my, it's because of the damage of the sun. I understand what the heat of the sun can do. You understand that too. And so when that heat of the sun comes, he says, I will be your shade, sheltering you from the damage it can do. However, what I want you to see is that the Hebrew word refers more than just to shade from sun or shelter from, from a, a storm. It, it had to do with a place where you could get away from any kind of person or thing in this world that might harm you. In fact, one of the amazing places where you find this concept is in Exodus 33 and 34, when Moses, who lived before this was written, when Moses wanted to have a personal encounter with God. I've mentioned this to you often. He said, you know everything about me, I don't know you. And God essentially says, but you're unholy, Moses, and, and I am the holy God. You can't be in my presence and, and survive. So in other words, God says to actually stand in my presence. That's not a safe place. 
for where you are. You get that? But then he made it possible for Moses to have a personal meeting with him. He created a secret place where, where Moses could be there and God passed in front of him and told him who he was. So all of that is what has made me think about the secret place in our home where my children loved and they would go when they were little and didn't really feel safe. I think another really helpful illustration to remember it is the whole National Safe Place Movement, NSP, uh, because in, in our country and in our world, so many of the things that we're remembering happened have continued to happen, and so I, I think it was sometime in the early 80s that in Kentucky they began to say there's got to be some safe places where kids can run when things happen. I, I have a, uh, just the symbol of that. So when you would see that symbol, children, now it's a national movement, children or young people under the age of 18 who need to find some safety from all sorts of things, from storms, from gangs, from, from fires, from bullies, from shooters. If only they could see one of those signs, they can run to that safe place and find protection from harm. So when I read Psalm 91, one thing becomes clear to me. The God who loves you and me knows what's happened to this world he made. He knows that when sin entered this world, all sorts of slimy pit situations came into this world. That there are all sorts, you might as well know it, there are all sorts of people and places who will try to do harm. That's in every culture, every place. But in Psalm 91, verse 1, we find that God's Word declares that God in this world is ready to make a secret place available so that no lasting harm, no lasting harm, will come to those who run to Him. It's a secret place, not so much because it's unknown as because it's inaccessible. God says, when I'm there, this place is inaccessible to whatever might do eternal harm to the one who runs to me. Now, now this secret place that he's talking about is not a physical location. It is the presence of the Most High, Almighty God Himself. So that we read that first verse, the one who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will find rest in the shade of the Almighty. So God's presence in this world is that secret place that he's talking about. And there is no God-abandoned place in this world. Wherever you are, he is there. So that brings me to the second thing I want to say. I call it the plot. Uh, this psalm of protection, uh, I've sort of cryptically put it, how might Psalm 91 actually harm you? <laughs> because I think it has, and it, it will harm you if you misunderstand it or if you misapply it. I want you to make note of this right now. Psalm 91 is the passage in Scripture that the devil quoted when he wanted to do harm to Jesus. Did you know that? Luke chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. And his plot, what he did was, he was going to pull parts of these verses out of their context, make the Bible mean something very different from what it meant, and in Satan's interpretation of Psalm 91, 
He wanted to tell Jesus that, Jesus, if you have enough faith in your Father, you'll never have to experience any difficulties in this world. In fact, he even goes all the way through to the line, you won't even have to stub your toes, so go ahead and jump off the cliff, he said to Jesus. And I'll just tell you, this is something that you know many well-meaning people have said over the centuries about this passage, ever since Satan lied to Jesus about it. That if you have enough faith in Jesus, you should never have to be in a slimy pit. If you have enough faith in Jesus, you should never have to suffer at all in this world. So listen carefully to me. Psalm 91 is not saying that if you trust God enough, you will find that he will not ever let you go through any difficulties. That if you have the right kind of faith or you go to the right kind of church, if you learn to name it and claim it, that you will never have to face a hardship. You, you know, don't you? If, do you know the story of Job in the Old Testament? The godly man who went through all those troubles, and then he had these so-called friends. I hope they weren't members of Lake Avenue Church. You'd be awfully old if they were. Um, they came to him, and they said, Job, it must be all these things you've done wrong because if you have lived right, you know, if you believed hard enough and showed up the right place, you shouldn't have to go through this. God, God wouldn't let you down. Do you remember what God said to those comforters? It's in Job 42.7. You have not spoken the truth about me. That's what he said to them. You have not spoken the truth about me. You see, Satan's plot is to make you think that if God lets you suffer, God is not true to his word, or you're just not a very good Christian. I'll just tell you, if you begin to think like that, you're going to become disillusioned when you live in this world. As I'm telling you, hardships are still a part of this world, this side of heaven. Think that that's what God promises. If you live good enough, believe hard enough, believe right, you'll never have a problem. I'll tell you, if that's inside your soul, you'll become disillusioned and bitter. You'll even leave your faith. That's what Satan wants, of course. What Psalm 91.1 does, it speaks to you and me of being able to rest, that's the word that he uses, in spite of living in a world filled with realities like a scorching sun or shooters in the dark. I'll tell you, I've been hard-pressed today (laughs) as I thought about this. It doesn't say that God will take the sun away, you know? No, he promises he'll be a shade from the sun's heat. Uh, Read on down through it, and you'll see in verse 3, he speaks of another way that a person can be attacked in this world. I want to show you this one at least. The Almighty will save you from the fowler's snare, he said. It's not an illustration we use very often here in Southern California, so I'll show you a picture of of a bird getting trapped. I'll just make you sad for the bird. Fowler's snare. The fowler was a trapper. The snare was a trap. I want you to know that in this world, God does not say, I will not allow any trappers to be there. Nor does he promise to always take away the trap when you go near it. Instead, what he says is, if you get trapped, I'll be there to get you out. Run to me. Run to the secret place. And I will allow, not allow that trapper or that trap to do you eternal harm to that person that you are in, in my sight. Because, you see, a trapper 
wants to take the bird down from the height of what God has created that bird to be and to do. He wants to take that bird, catch it, and bring it down into the reach of the enemy. So, I mean, the point is that there are traps in this world that seek to bring you down from what God has made you to be, from that place to soar, living God's way instead of living the way the rest of the world does. There are traps here. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Made in the image of God, you and I were created to fly by living with him and living in the ways we were created to live. But sometimes, I'll tell you, you can get trapped by all sorts of traps and trappers in this world, by addictions, often to things like pornography, which is such, so rampant in our society. By anger in your relationships, things that have done, I'm not gonna put that to the side. By the frustration of your finances, Satan's trap, his plot, is to make you think that God would never allow you to experience any of those trappers or traps, so you come, you just hide those things, that if you'll believe hard enough, you'll be immune to them. It is a deceitful plot. Are you with me here? So I just want you to know, don't be surprised when you feel the heat of hard times or the disillusionment of traps in this world. The enemies of the kingdom of God, and there are three big ones that are enemies to you experiencing the life of God. Uh, There is, of course, the world and all of its systems. So much of that we are seeing, looks like so much of it is due to to racial hatred, so much of it is national kinds of hatred. The world systems can be a trap. Uh, The devil is very real. Let's not be deceived about that. And our own human cravings, what the Bible calls the flesh, those things are going to continue to try to keep you from soaring and flying. And they will until Jesus returns again and makes all things new. So when you read through Psalm 91, read through verses 3 through 13, and you'll see he'll talk about all sorts of kinds of things that trap people in his day. Disease, plagues, disaster, lions, snakes, even death. God never says you won't have to experience such things. It's Satan's plot to make you think otherwise. So his promise is not to just uh, not even let you be touched by them. So what does he promise? What does God promise in this Psalm, 911 Psalm? The Lord says, I will rescue him. I will protect him. I will answer him. I will be with him in that trouble. I will deliver him, verses 14 and 15. In fact, if you go back, I think verse four in Psalm 91, is one of the most beautiful statements of all of Scripture about what God promises to do when things like a fowler tries to trap birds or threatening storms of life seem to be overwhelming. God, who in verses 1 through 2 is called the Most High, the Almighty. God is called a refuge and a strength. Would you get to verse chapter 4? He's described in such a different way as being like a mother hen gathering her little chicks, putting her wings around them, and offering whatever protection she can. Have any of you ever seen that? We don't have many farmers here in our church. (laughs) So I I have a 20-second video. I'll just show you just so that you can see how this plays out. 
My mom's side, we're all farmers in West Virginia. I've, I've seen this sort of thing so often. What that illustration really says, I mean, the mom only has limited power, but what she has, she uses. But God says, I'm the Almighty, the Most High. I want you to run into my arms. What it means is that all who truly belong to God, who become children of God, don't have to be slaves of fear, for we are his children. We can have the confidence that God is greater than the things that happen in this world, that he is with you, that he'll use his power to protect you. When we become those who actually dwell in the secret place, verse 10 really says nothing can happen that will do you, and really the idea is eternal harm. You'll see that word there of, of harm. And what it means is there's nothing, once you have entered into a relationship with God and he has come into your life through his spirit, nothing can do irreparable damage to the person you are and rob you of your eternal lives with God. In fact, the worst that this world can throw at you won't be, in another word he has here is disaster. It won't prove to be a disaster for God's children, something that will be so destructive of your inner being in life that, that God can't restore it. So with that in mind, let me read again for you verses nine through 11. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your paths. He's not talking about temporary things, being able to be taken away. They will be taken away. They're not made for eternity. He's talking about eternal things that you can never be robbed of. So ultimately, I see Psalm 91 as being an equivalent, Old Testament equivalent, of Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. So I'm just going to read that to you. Hear it. See if you believe it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, or persecution, or, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then Paul, who is writing in this chapter about all the sufferings even that he had encountered, would say, here's what I'm convinced of. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that comes to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the message we have to embrace and that's the message we have to carry out into this world where people are still looking for safe places in places where they cannot be found. So let me just talk at the end by, about the path. How do you get to the secret place? Verse two, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. I tell you, when I 
preach sermons like this, I always kind of feel like people saying, all right, Pastor Greg, where is that secret place? What's the address? How can I plug it into my GPS and get there right now? I tell you, we find ourselves asking here in our country, where is that school that's safe for my children? Where is that job that cannot be taken away? Where is that relationship to a guy who will not abuse me or be unfaithful to me? Where is that neighborhood where no thieves or gangs can break into and steal stuff? Where can I even go shopping? <laughs> can I even go to a Walmart <laughs> to go shop? Where is the secret? Where is the place I can go on a Saturday night and not get shot? With those kinds of questions in mind, I come back to that first point again. The safe place, the secret place is not a physical location in this world. In fact, the, the secret place can exist any place where you go in this world for it is the place of the presence of a person. Whoever dwells in the safe place of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And the path to that person is trust. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and strength, my God in whom I trust. So that's gonna bring me back again. I'll, I'll put that back to my message last week about what to do in those dangerous slimy pits with the, the formula I gave you, slow down, remember, ask, wait, wait, act. And again, I told you that almost the hardest part for me is being able to, to wait, wait. T today, I, I just wanna tell you what, what I've, I've learned over the years about what to, to do, at least one of the main things to do when I get into that difficult world and, uh, and I have to wait, and it's hard to wait. Because he says, while you're waiting, you can find rest. You can find rest. You have to be just riddled by anxiety and worry. So how do you get there? And the word, again, I want you to see in verse 2 is the word trust. Trusting in Jesus is what carries us into that personal relationship with God and brings his spirit into our hearts so that you never, never, no matter what you face, will be abandoned, whether you are in a prison or in a school or a difficult marriage or whatever happens. So I'm going to tweak my, I'm gonna tweak my formula here a little bit. Let me put up the second one. Slow down, Ray, you got us to do that. Remember that God is, remember who God is, where he is, what he's done, ask him into the situation to take it over. Wait, wait. And in the midst of that waiting, trust. And then begin to learn to take that one step I talked to you about last week in a way that honors God. Trust takes you to the secret place. And if that's true, then you have to know that your trust in Jesus will always be tried. Should I say it again? Just know in this world, your trust in Jesus will always be tried. So you gotta learn to trust him in the challenging times. I'm just telling you, it's, e it's easy to say you trust Jesus when you've just gotten a raise. 
It's not so easy when you just lost your job. Amen? It's not easy when you're just now laying your loved one in the grave. If you're going to learn to be at rest in the turbulence of this world, deep down in your soul, you have to decide this. Do I trust God? And will I continue to even when I don't see his goodness this side of heaven? So I want you to learn to tell God today, I will trust you even when I can't trace you. I will trust you even when I can't trace you and what you are doing. Praying something like this, Lord, I'm confused, but I'm going to trust you and live for you until I understand more. Lord, I'm hurting, but I will trust you and live for you until you take it away. Lord, I will trust you to be with me and give me new strength when I go yet again into that same temptation that I've failed in again and again. And there's one more critically important thing about this text that's so important for me, and I want, want you to see it too, that when we trust God, it leads us to a life in which we dwell with. Do you, do you see it? The one who, it starts that way, who dwells with. The one who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will find rest. So it's so different from the way so many of us live our lives. So we kind of live for ourselves and then the difficulty comes in and oh, let's run to God right now when we get into trouble and he'll be there. But the way to live, the promise of protection and rest is given to those who trust in him and dwell with him. That means living our lives always aware of his presence and being changed by our desire to please him. I, I, last week I told you when I first thought about that slimy pit, the formula, <laughs> do you remember that when I was in the hospital bed and with the pancreatic problems I had? Then I've asked myself, when did I start thinking about Psalm 91 this way? And I'll tell you, I remember it so well. It was when uh, the first year, end of the first year of me being a university president back in Chicago, Illinois. I came to this painful recognition of how horrible the financial situation at school was. This school had been existing over 100 years. My ego set in, man, oh man. And I sat there and I thought, oh man, this has existed 100 years and here Waybright comes in and it falls apart. I just felt, oh man, I've got to rescue and save this place. I've just, I felt overwhelmed by it. I'd been a pastor for my whole life, I'd never dealt with the issues that I faced in, in higher education. The complexity of the, pre, of the presidency felt like too much for me. And then as I learned more and more about the school's financial condition, I felt less and less competent to do this job and more and more anxious. Uh, Chris is away with, our, with Heather and the grandchildren today, but she will give testimony to you of how restless I was so much that I couldn't even sleep, days on end. And it, it, that inability to sleep didn't help one bit. All it did was make me tired and irritable. It was in the midst of that sleeplessness. One night, I just went reading through the Psalms, and I came to this one, and you can imagine being in that situation, because I'm sure you've been in places like this. I read that phrase, whoever dwells in the secret place of the Most High will rest. I remember slapping the Bible to it. I said, that's what I need. So I read that. I slowed down. 
pray, I, I remembered who God is. I, I asked him to take it over. I said, I don't have to be the Messiah here. <laughs> I'll just have to be faithful to you. But at this point, I said, I, I've got to wait and trust you. And I just wish I could tell you today that all the anxiety I ever felt about finances melted away. And that within a week, all the difficulties were gone. The solution to the financial problems were all gone. If I told you that, that would not be true. But I'll tell you this, that day I learned to begin to take new steps about what to do in times like this. It's why even as we are facing a bit of a financial challenge here now, I tell you, I, I, I thought, can I write a really good letter? <laughs> I thought, no, no. Lord, we're in this together. If we're doing what you'd have us to do, you will provide. I will trust you, and we will see what you will do. I'll tell you, for me, I don't know about for you, when it gets into those times, it takes what I've, I've come to call intentional, conscious steps of faith. It doesn't come naturally to me. I, I, I want to get in there and try to fix it all myself, but this intentional conscious step to say, Lord, it's beyond me. I give it to you. It is yours, and I will be faithful and wait to see what you will do. God invites us to dwell there. It means that we, we've got to pack up <laughs> the way we've been living before and move away from that old self-directed, I'll do it myself kind of life Lord, I'm going to do it your way, in your secret place. When you do that, you've got to walk away from some of those things that dishonor God. I tell you, you go into the secret place of the most holy God and those old ways of living that have never worked anyway, you, you go right back into them. Sometimes in business, uh, cheating or, or lying or deceiving. I'll tell you, it's, get, it's time to get rid of those ways, Amen. And it's time just to say, Lord, I'll do it your way, and we will trust you, and we will see your glory in this place. Don't invite things that displease God into your secret place. When we go to communion today, if you're aware of some of those things, those things trapping you, you give them to him. You repent of them. You take his forgiveness and claim with his power, with his presence, Tomorrow will be different. And that brings us to the Lord's table. Let, let me tell you how. You, do you sense how weighty I, I feel, the weight I feel this morning? It's not only because I've been in the places where those shootings have taken place, but it, I don't know how it affects you. All the shooters look like me, except they're younger. I'm better looking, I'm sure, but... And at least one of the shootings, and maybe more of that, at least a big, big factor was, was hatred for other races and other nationalities. And so much an evil in our world and in our own country that just is exploding. Hatred of people, we're gonna get rid of those people. Brothers and sisters, you've come here into the family of God. And one of the things that that I've talked to you about so often for 12 years, that when you give your life to Jesus and know he had to die for you, no hope for you and me apart from him dying, it levels us. So how does 2 Corinthians 5 tell it? We look at no one 
from a worldly point of view. We don't look at people the way that the world does. So when we go to communion today, we've got to investigate our own hearts and ask, Lord, do, is there any of that hatred toward people of other races, or people from other nationalities that we see just permeating our country and repent of that and give that to him? You remember when he said, Paul said, as, as he was trying to come to love Gentiles, who, who, who Pharisees and rabbis like Paul didn't usually love, he said, when I realized Christ had to die for me, I could have no pride. When I realized he died for all, I can no longer look at anyone from a worldly point of view. We look at all people as those made in the image of God. May that happen here. May any trace of that kind of racism be driven from all of our hearts and from our community. May all people in this broken world be able to walk into this place and know that in Christ we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So today when we go to communion, I think it is so important for us today to make sure that we don't bring any of that into the secret place, right? Because the God that we are going to be remembering is the God who has made all of us in his image and the Jesus that we are going to be remembering has died for all, every tribe, language, and nation that we might be one family in him demonstrating the glory and unity of God to a broken world. May God do the work with us even as we celebrate communion today. I'll ask our, our stewards to go to the tables. If you're visiting with us, this is the Lord's table. You've heard if you have given your life to Jesus, then you're a part of this family. This is his table. You are welcome to come and take. If you've come and you see those areas of traps that you have welcomed into your life, sins that you know need to be repented of, do that before you come. Especially if some of these matters about how you've been viewing other people uh, are things that you have to turn from and repent of and ask for his cleansing and forgive. Do that before you come and then come because what we remember will be um, sufficient for a new beginning for you. So if you go all the way to the right, if you have a gluten allergy, you can get some gluten-free elements that are there. If you're unable, we, come, we stand up from where we are and come forward and then we take the elements and somehow you've got to carry them back uh, to your place. And then we will, as one family, receive these, these elements together. Some of you can't get here, I know. So our stewards will come through the, the aisles and, and they'll try to find you and just signal them and they'll get you both the bread and the cup. Uh, let me lead us in prayer. May God move in our hearts as we remember, as we remember what Jesus did to bring us into his family. Father, in this world where it keeps screaming out at us that there is still so much hatred among peoples, we have gathered here because you love us and you love not only us, but all, made in your image. So, Father, do your work in our hearts and lives. We bring the things to you that, that need to be repented of. We turn from them. We want to walk out in newness of life. So as we receive these elements, Father, do a work in each of our hearts and our lives. Change us to your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.